don't wait for that bravery moment, that hero moment until you call yourself courageous. Call yourself and appreciate your courageousness when you say, I'm not staying in my comfort zone. I'm prepared to learn. I'm prepared to take a risk. Because sometimes people develop a script of, oh, I'm not courageous. They're never courageous and they never say no or they never say what they really would want to do or what they would really want to say. And the space gets smaller and smaller. And with a smaller and smaller space, you are not leading a happier life. I believe you are here for a reason. And that's usually reaching out to the world and not getting smaller. Great companies are all about the people. Good people become great leaders, mentors for work and life. Welcome to Learnings from Leaders, the PG Alumni Podcast. I'm Roman Segel, recovering marketer. And I'm Andrew Tarvin, humor engineer. Roman and I both got our start at PG, the Procter and Gamble company, where we had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And as you may know, many leaders across industries got their start at PG. In this series, through conversations with fellow PG alums, we hope to go deeper with the leaders you already know but want to know more about. It's kind of like being a fly on the wall for my mentoring coffees. Today's episode is another special one, part of a coaching series where we explore relevant topics with executive coaches on a deeper level. Today, we're talking about having courage in life and in leadership with executive coach Florence Ganey. As you may already know, the PNG Alumni Women's Leadership Forum launched their coaching program for fellow PNG alums, where members can give and gain from each other. Coaching is a process that helps you unlock your full potential. Just as professional athletes have a coach to help them perform at their best, coaching can help executives and professionals thrive in life through powerful questioning, exploration, and action planning. You can achieve an elevated leadership presence and have expanded career opportunities using a coach. And coaching is for anyone willing to change themselves to go after their professional or even personal aspirations. Over time, we'll be featuring many different coaches delving into different powerful coaching topics, but PNG alumni listeners to this podcast can learn more and sign up for a free coaching session, first coaching session at coaching.pgalums.com. Now, before we dive into today's topic of courage, uh, here's a quick bio of our expert coach today. Uh, Florence Ganey is an experienced, empathetic trainer and coach where she currently focuses on topics such as courage in life and courage in leadership, self-leadership and strategy consulting. She studied economics in Wuppertal with a focus on work and personal life after qualifying as a garment seamstress, which I'm curious about. And she has extensive experience as an executive in internationally renowned companies such as Procter & Gamble, uh, Melita, Estee Lauder Companies, and Heineken International. Florence has been trained as a coach since 2015 and has been a professional certified coach with the largest international coaching association, ICF, since 2020. She was a member of the Program Commission of 2015 of the annual ISOMAR Congress and Marketer of the Year 2014 Cons Alliance. She speaks German, English, and French, enjoys playing golf, going running, and doing yoga, and currently lives in Germany with her husband, Florence. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Drew. Thanks for having me. And thanks for doing such a splendid summary of what coaching is about. Yeah, we want to give people a little bit of a better understanding because I know for me, I kind of had a misconception of coaching when I first kind of heard about it. I was like, wait, is that almost therapy? Is it something else? Why do I need it? Like if I've got mentors, et cetera. And so we're really excited about this series because coaching can really help you take that that next step to the the next level. And so 
what I'm also really excited about the series is that this gives us a chance to go deeper into a topic. Before we do that, I'm curious about your background in terms of, you know, why did you want to become a coach? And before that, what were you doing before coaching? What were you doing at these internationally renowned companies slash maybe being qualified as a garment seamstress? <laughs> yes, sure, Andrew. So the motivation to become a coach was primarily similar to my career at PNG and other companies, curiosity that I just, I'm a very curious person and that I felt partnering with others to discover where limitations and opportunities lie and how they look at lives and how they, how they lead their life was just brilliant work. And, and I love it. Yeah. It's a very rewarding work. Very, very different to a corporate role. I always say coaching is in many ways totally opposite because if you have a big corporate role as I had, you are <laughs> more the role and the title than the person. You're a budget holder and you have power. And in coaching, it's just you. So <laughs> either you connect and you you ask the right questions and you create the space that the other person needs or you don't. And you can hold as many titles as you want. They don't, they don't matter in that moment. And um, I actually love both. I love the power game and I love the intimate game of coaching too. So before, yeah, PNG, PNG, I started in 91 and I will come to the seamstress story for sure. Procter & Gamble, I started in consumer and market knowledge, and that was in then called MRD, Market Research Department, whoever remembers these days, 91 in Schwalbach. And I was told you can be curious, you can be strategic, and you'll be hardworking. That sounds all good enough. Love the people I met, was very impressed by the smarts of them. And I thought I can learn a lot. And I think this question of where will I learn next has been a little bit driving force of my career. So I learned a lot for nearly 13 years at PNC, moved to from Schwalbach to England, Egham, and then to Geneva, like so many. And then I felt that the learning curve was flattening a little bit and there were some questions around where our children should go grow up and where they should go to school. And we changed gear and I accepted a job offer from Milita in the middle of Germany. Stayed there for around six years, first head of innovation and market research. And then I went into the headquarters and headed strategy, business and brand strategy. And very interesting businesses, uh, branded business, coffee business, some household care things. And then I joined Estee Lauder to help them build up the market research capacity and the consumer insight understanding in the new regional office in Paris. Did that a little bit too sharp then <laughs> I got an irresistible offer from Heineken and I became the head of, really global head of consumer and market intelligence at Heineken, which was a huge role and uh, I loved it to bits. It was really fun because we had a lot of possibilities to create what we believed uh, was necessary for the company and did that for four years and was was an amazing ride. The seamstress. Yeah. Seamstress, you wanted to know. Yeah. So where does that come into play? 
Uh, that actually came after the baccalaureate. I thought I don't want to go immediately to to university because I thought let's touch real life, yeah. Because in yeah, in yeah, in in Germany you go to the gymnasium, so high school, yeah, a little bit among the same people so it's from six years till you are eighteen, nineteen, very very similar social settings, if you want. So, and I thought hmm, the life life and society might be more colorful than that, and. And I wanted to learn sewing. <laughs> so I can I, I learned to sew very, very fast because it was an industrial uh, education. And I can sew big flags faster than many other people. Yes, I can. <laughs> that is a fun uh, fact. Yeah, sometimes we get to those, those types of questions towards the end. So that would be an interesting fact, I think, of, of sewing flags very, very fast. So that's quite the impressive background and you kind of alluded to it uh, in terms of why you then wanted to kind of get into coaching to be less about the title at these big places or seamstress, uh, not to mm-hmm. touch that more towards the the ideas. And you know, now you've been coaching for, for six years. You can coach people in German, English, and in French. Uh, you even wrote a book in German called Mutigweiter, uh, which what what's that rough translation for those of us who have very poor German understanding despite you know, the fact that I'm married to a German. Yeah, fascinating. I managed to find a book title that is in English longer than in German, uh, which is really a rare incident. So I'm about to translate it into move on courageously. If anyone has a better idea, please (laughs) get back to me because I need a good English title because I want to publish it in English too. That's fantastic. And so but the, the content of it, uh, I think, then very aligns very well with what we want to talk about today is courage. And so as we think about this topic of courage, we're talking about it in life and in leadership, et cetera, but very high level, what does courage mean to you? Or what, what do you see courage meaning to, to you in the context as a coach? Because a lot of times we might have even different connotations of what we think about. Yeah, so Courage in my, to my ears, is not about bravery and being a hero. Courage is to overcome your own fears, doubts, hesitations, because you have something bigger that calls you a bigger wish, a bigger purpose, a bigger value than what is in front of you. And you are prepared to encounter difficult or unwanted consequences. Great. So that doesn't mean like I necessarily have to Tony Robbins style run across some coals, hot coals, embers underneath your feet in terms of courage or jump out of a plane to have courage, right? Like these things that we think of as quote unquote scary, et cetera, that can be more, probably more specific to you, right? Like the thing that causes you fear exactly might be different than what causes someone else fear. Exactly. Yeah. And you are for sure, the more often you step out of your comfort zone and you go, and I will explain later, through a current zone towards being courageous, acting courageously. If you do that more often, then you get more comfortable with it. So if the easiest for you is jumping off planes or walking over hot coals, <laughs> go ahead. But don't stop when you have a difficult conversation with a colleague or you start with a difficult situation with a colleague of that conflict because it might matter more than jumping off planes. Mm-hmm. So for me, courage is a capacity you can learn and you can create 
circumstances that make it easier for you and for others to be courageous. So to to take into account and still act, even if, yeah, it can be difficult and unwanted stuff might happen. The question is always, is it worth it? Well, that is a, a really interesting question. I think that's probably part of what comes in with coaching is is identifying the places to be courageous. But I think that's really interesting and again, good to, to emphasize that you're saying this is a capacity thing. It's not necessarily a genetic thing or a thing that only comes if you had a lot to drink. Uh, <laughs> right? Like it is, it, it's a almost a skill set that you can build. And, and you're saying these are, there's some ways to practice being more courageous, maybe in some ways. Totally. Yeah. And I want to invite to say it's a choice because a lot of times we say, oh, I'm not as courageous as her or him, someone walking around. And actually they're just doing something you are not comfortable with but they might be totally comfortable with it. So I'm quite comfortable speaking French and others might say I wouldn't dare to speak French. Yes, I practiced my French so I can speak French and others don't dare because they haven't practiced. Yeah. Very simple example. And I believe still true. Well, and I, I I would think so too, because I think people, a lot of people have that that same context with me of like, I've I've done stand-up comedy for 10 plus years. And many people like, yeah, they they hear that and they're like, oh, I could never do comedy. Exactly. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I had that same fear when I first started. But the fact that, you know, I got those repetitions and now standing in, in front of a stand up comedy club doesn't give me any fear. But the idea of going into a French bakery and attempting to order something in my very terrible like Duolingo French that I, you know, picked up very quickly <laughs> sounds terrifying in a way. Right. So, it, OK, so I understand that being a little bit different that is different for every person. There's not yes. necessarily a universal, like this is always courageous, but that it's kind of more individual specifically to, to you. But when I think of, when I think of courage, cause these seem like very kind of quote unquote small examples in a way of like, okay, if the idea of ordering in a French bakery in French is a little scary to me, it sounds like, oh, well, I could practice or build my capacity by doing so. You know, if I visit Paris in the future, I should almost force myself to do that because it's going to build my, that to me seems like a little, not antithetical, but when I think of courage, I think of that big kind of loud, potentially brash, like over the top, more extroverted, like kind of like the opposite of my personality. And so can you be courageous if it doesn't look necessarily like courageousness on the outward or like, what does it actually, what does courage then actually look like maybe in the workplace? Maybe that's a better way to, to frame the question. No, I think it's wonderful you now because the, the uh, ordering a croissant, whatever language is, of course, comparatively banal compared to speaking up to a boss or contradicting a peer who's creating a difficult situation for you or quitting your job. Because you you think it's not no longer right for you and going into all the, the emotions and risks associated with that. So for sure, there are bigger choices to be made. I would still abstain from saying, oh, it is loud and big and huge because I think often we, we oversee all the little courage we we can choose to create the life we really want. And, and a lot of situations that, that are stressful for us we have this idea if I was courageous and loud and played the hero, 
it would become better. And probably it doesn't. Probably the small steps are essential. It's not the screaming game you need with your boss. And a very concentrated, very specific conversation. What you want to happen and what you don't want to happen in your in your work life. Yeah, that can be a boundary around over hours. That can be conversations around accountability and responsibility and resources you get. And it's not a screaming game. It's being very clear and very, very determined in what you want and how to express and then how to enter that conversation. But of course, yeah, the big courageous and brave actors they are movie material and we love movies and we (laughs) sometimes we sit there in the office and we think why is my life not a movie let's make it a movie and i'll start screaming at someone Mm -hmm. yeah and it's not how life unfolds in my most cases in most cases it's not that loud it's not that escalating and it is step by step creating the context that i thrive in and i have others thrive in So I think to me, uh, what I hear from that is that in life, to be courageous, you're probably going to have a little bit of both. Like you may have those big moments in life. You may have that big decision to say, I'm going to go and talk to that person that I've been wanting to talk to for whatever reason. Or you might have the like, yeah, I'm ready to leave this job or in this project or whatever. Like they might be bigger things. And it might also be the the smaller things. But it, it sounds like in some ways doing the smaller ones Almost as one, building your capacity for courage, but then also maybe giving yourself some belief of like, yeah, as silly as it is, because this is what we do with speakers. A lot of the coaching that I do with individual speakers is on how to improve their speech, how to be better as a keynote presenter, as a trainer, or even with some of the executive leaders that we work with who want to get better at, you know, executive presence and stuff, is we have them do stand-up comedy. Totally. We have them go and do an open mic, et cetera, with that intent to say that, yes, this is kind of the weight room of public speaking. So this is a way to practice it. And the fact that you have fear about it is exactly the reason why you should do it, because it's almost in a safe way to learn. And so to practice a skill Yes, you're going to have maybe those big courageous moments in the future, but practice kind of that capacity on some of these small ones that maybe where the stakes are a little bit lower. But as humans, emotions are weird that the fear doesn't necessarily like sometimes the fear of, you know, something tiny like ordering a a croissant in French, the fear almost feels the same as also leaving your job, maybe to a slightly different scale. So it seems like what I'm hearing you're saying is that there's beauty and value in both the big courageous moments and the small ones and the small ones can maybe help us with the big ones. Totally. Yeah. And and don't wait for that bravery moment, that hero moment until you call yourself courageous. Call yourself and appreciate your courageousness when you say, I'm not staying in my comfort zone. I'm prepared to learn. I'm prepared to take a risk. And that's my invitation. Yeah. That's my invitation to everybody Because sometimes people develop a script of, oh, I'm not courageous. And then the the space gets smaller and smaller because they're never courageous and they never say no or they never say what they really would want to do or what they would really want to say. And the space gets smaller and smaller. And my assumption is with a smaller and smaller space, you are not leading a happier life and it's not necessarily why you are here on earth to occupy the smallest possible space. I believe you are here for a reason and that's usually reaching out to the world and not getting smaller. 
Well, and it's interesting you say by definition with the word courage, like if you wait until the fact that you are fully comfortable to try something, to try it for the first time, that's that almost is no longer courage to do it. Now you're like, now it's comfortable exactly. to do it. So you almost inherently to be courageous have to do things before maybe you're 100% feeling like you're you're confident or, or ready to do so. And so what does that look like as a as a professional? Like what what are those moments? And we've kind of alluded to some of them. But what are from either your own life of like making a big decision of saying, hey, I'm leaving this, the, these internationally renowned companies, et cetera, to, to do this individual coaching thing or in the lives of some of the people that you coach, what do those, some of those moments look like? What are the things that people need or that you kind of hope that they have a little bit more courage to do? We've kind of talked a little bit about saying no or maybe it's in conflict, et cetera. What do, what do you think are some of the, the prime examples of it? Yeah, huge, huge area is really how to deal with conflict. So if you are in a constant conflict with your boss or a peer or a direct report, how do we, you resolve for that? How do you establish what you want to happen in comparison to what is happening and to have a good conversation that don't, doesn't necessarily <laughs> could, but doesn't necessarily end in a, in a screaming game. But ideally into in a mutual understanding and in listening to the other and being heard, make the other listen to you and find an agreement. I think that is a huge topic. And underlying issue is very often that we have standards how things should be and we get frustrated if things are not as we want them to be <laughs> and we make people around us accountable, responsible or guilty for things not being as we want them to be. And in coaching, I always express the big invitation to take things as they are and others as they are and to work on your attitude, your mindset to create to create what's good for you and to create the conversations that are good for you. Perhaps is that, it's, is that too abstract what I'm saying? I mean, I think at high level, I think it, it makes sense. And in some ways, what it's making me think of is like that, that last point, particularly is there, there's almost a courage in being authentic. Yeah. And to being vulnerable. Yes. Right. In the sense of being like, well, this is what I'm good at and this is what I'm not good at, or this is what. There's almost a courage to the emotional aspect of it in a way. Yes, and it's uh, expressing that specific behavior from a peer, for example, uh, is stressful for me. And that I bring that to the open and say, if you, if you work on a topic that I believe is actually dealt with in my department, that's really threatening. Mm -hmm. And I would like to understand what your idea is when you do that. and then I can listen and there is a point where I really ask, can you stop doing stuff that my department should be doing? And that can take an enormous amount of courage because it's acknowledging that the other is doing it, that I don't like it and that I fight for my department. And I've seen that a lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> in corporations where people try to kingdoms by just taking other people's stuff. And I always think that requires an open conversation and let's see what the arguments are. And so if, if, if I'm dealing with that situation, if we're in a, is it coachy? Mm -hmm. if, if you're my coach, what am, am I your coachy? Yes, you are my coachy, Drew. Yes, yes, you okay. are. 
if if I'm your <laughs> coach E, right, and I'm sharing that as a difficulty, this is a, hey, someone is kind of encroaching on my like thing. It feels like they're trying to take over. They sometimes taking credit for some of the stuff that we do, et cetera. What in some ways, how do you coach someone to be courageous besides just do it? <laughs> yeah. Um, which might be, it might be a very short conversation where the person just asked me, can you just tell me to just do it? But usually we, we would look into, on one hand, what is holding them back to express, to go into the conflict. And if it is, for example, hey, perhaps if I raise the conflict, it goes into the open and my boss says, yeah, true, the other person should get that area. Or that you're not sure that you can hold your ground or whatever. So we look into what is holding you back. And then very quickly, we look into what is possible. What becomes possible in that situation? And that's often shocking when people have first come with a frustration or some some anger when I ask what possibilities come up in that anger and in that frustration. And usually we find very funny stuff and how you can change the situation so that can be having a conversation with the colleague or that we discover, hey, um, you don't even have a strategy and everybody has just created some to-do list. How about creating a strategy and being very clear on why that belongs to your strategic objectives and you will have a very a more compelling story than you've ever had. And then you have changed the playing field. I love the idea of starting more with like, okay, why in this particular case does this feel like a courageous act? What is kind of those limitations holding back the fears maybe that are coming? So it seems like in some ways you've got to like, in order to overcome a fear, you have to, or to step through fear, you have to have a better understanding of maybe where it's coming from and the potential risks and the the challenges. And so that I can see for sure where coaching seems particularly helpful with something like courage, because it's one thing to kind of read a book about it and be like, okay, yeah, I just need to, to go and do it, or here's my, you know, specific strategy or whatever. Whereas this is, hey, what's your unique situation? What's the unique thing holding you back, particularly in this moment? And how do we kind of address or help you step through that? Absolutely. Yeah, no. And thank you for that. And because what is so important, if you sense fear or that hesitation or that doubt, it's telling you something very important about yourself. And in coaching, we don't want to brush over such emotions but we want to understand what the cause of them is. And then you you have a much deeper understanding for yourself and you can act when you then choose what you want to overcome and what you don't want to overcome. You can, you're just so much more powerful. Yeah. You have so much more energy in creating what you want. I love it. And and yeah, I mean, it, it's something that I've kind of joked as an engineer. I think of emotions as data. But <laughs> yeah, in some ways, yeah, yeah. in some ways, it's right, right? Like yes. you said, the fact that something giving you fear is already a little bit of data about something, and that's something maybe to to explore or unpack. And so, if you're hearing this and you already feel like, yeah, I do this, I'm courageous. I could do stand up comedy. I could order a croissant in French. I could like, you know, excite you. I jump out of airplanes. Whatever it is <laughs> that we think of as quote unquote courage. What's the value for someone like them to? better understand what we actually mean by courage? Why would they gain value out of, you know, reading your book or exploring this as a topic? Or are they all good? Are there some people that are like, nope, you're fine with courage. You don't need to know anything else. 
Yeah, I hope so. I hope that not everybody needs to read my book. <laughs> um, and that's fine. So, no, I think that there are people who, are, who have a very, very high self-awareness and they, they are very choiceful in to where they, where they want to grow and where, where they are comfortable in their comfort zone because I think the comfort zone is something awesome. So I don't want us to step out of the comfort zone all the time. That's much too stressful. The comfort zone is really cool. If it doesn't hold us back to experience life's full potential, but the comfort zone is part of life's full potential, definitely. So if you feel very courageous and you still wonder why to read my book, the reason is because you want to empower others to be courageous. And the second half of my book, and that's a good reason to get it translated into English and get it published, is that the second half of the book is how do you build a courageous organization? How do you empower others to be courageous? Because you can create as a leader, you can show behavior and create context that is either encouraging or discouraging. And I believe there is a huge accountability of leaders to create a courageous context for the people and to empower them to be courageous. I think it's one of the biggest tasks we have as leaders. Wow. Yeah. I, I just now, when you were saying that, I just now made the connection of the root word of courage and encouraging versus discouraging. Uh, never made even that connection of like the the root words being similar, at least sounding similar. But that I think is a really kind of valuable thing to explore, right? Is is how do you, yes, maybe whether you are courageous or not, how do you empower that and other people? Okay, so for those of us that don't uh, read in German and don't have the English translation of it yet, what are some high level things as a leader that you can do? Similarly, asking people questions, et cetera, but like how as a leader today, if I wanted to start to create that culture of, of encouragement of courageous people, what can I do? Yeah. So first you create, if you want, so systematic enabling, which is all about creating a pool. So be very clear on the, on the purpose of the organization. Why are we here and what do we want to do? to have very clear guidelines on how we are operating and third, having a very, very articulated strategy. Why are all these things so important for courage? Because this gives everybody a platform to act. It's not the gusto of the day if we go for digital solutions or not. It's not the pleasing boss that we try to be a more, that we want to be a more diverse organization. These are articulated, shared ideas of the whole organization. So everybody in the organization has the space to act. And then, of course, you, you observe that as a leader that the whole organization is moving in that direction and you are sanctioning positively and negatively that everything is moving in that direction. And most importantly, if you very often I see value statements on a lot of walls in the corporations, <laughs> and then I, I people share with me or I observe the actual behavior that is sorry not in line with the values that are written on the wall. And perhaps there are a few people listening and having tears in their eyes. I have seen those tears because it is really tiring for most people. If there are values on a wall and behavior in a room that just don't fit in any way. 
So as a leader, you are accountable for that gap in behavior and values and you call them out and you find ways for everybody learning, oh, if these values are written on a wall, this is how I behave. That's one example. And once you have your purpose, your guidelines and your strategies, you empower everybody to act. And you, I think it was at, at PNG and then at Estee Lauder, Fabrizio Freda, my, my wonderful ex, unfortunately ex-boss, <laughs> was always saying, leading from every chair. Uh, and that's, I think, an attitude of a courageous leader encouraging people in the organization. Yeah, I think that, especially that last point, I think sometimes there's a a fear of like, what if my people are better than me? What if they like yes. are, maybe someone's going to take my job or they're going to make me look bad because they're so good or there, there might be this like, no one I don't, I, I feel like would very rarely outwardly say that. But that's also, again, maybe why coaching is valuable is maybe you don't even necessarily consciously think that or know that, but then through conversation like, ah, maybe that is a, a slight fear holding back. But it seems like, no, there's, it takes a little bit of courage to be like, no, I want my people to be incredibly successful and to be really good. And that was for me, I, I would love to know how the other listeners to that podcast feel about it. But that was for me the, one of the biggest shock after leaving PNG, because at PNG, I always felt that way, that you were allowed to get the best out of the people coming after you. And that was your job. And that's how I felt treated by, by my bosses. And in other countries, that's not necessarily the case. That was for me a big shock. I didn't know that you could be so, that people would be so observant. Hey, am I still the best and the strongest? And how do I make others smaller, not bigger? Big shock for me. There are a lot of companies where you have a lot of leaders who make others smaller, not bigger. Yeah. And I think a good reminder is sometimes like, especially for people that work at a place like P&G, one, a reminder that if you're, if you feel that now, know that that's not how it is in every organization, but also for the people that are listening to this that maybe never worked at PNG or a place like, know that, no, there are environments out there where it's incredibly supportive and that, you know, leaders and stuff are, are about picking people up and that, yeah, that still means that there is a little bit of kind of courage that comes with creating that type of, that type of environment. Perhaps uh, one last thing, and it wasn't all the time in every spot at PNG like that, not in 12 and a half years, yet overall it was a lot like that. And what is important is that this is, you have, so I talked about the systemic enablers of encouraging the whole organization. Then you have, of course, very, very individual behaviors in a specific situation. And one key is going into the direction what we just talked is, you as a leader step back and push someone else forward and let them shine. And you never do that watching if they fail and fall. <laughs> that, oh, didn't work. But you, you, my conviction is you take care that it is as safe as possible. You can, it's never a hundred percent safe, but that you agree on the safety net that is necessary. So I, I did that. I forgot. Yeah, I did that at Heineken. He was two months in. We had a very, very nasty business case. A launch didn't work well and everybody was very, very angry. I was quite new in the organization myself. And I told him, hey, you know, 
I don't know, uh, then still a thousand pages of analyses and uh, documents and study results. And I said, come back with what the, what the core issues are and you will present to the CMO. And he told me years later that he thought that was very, very courageous of me. <laughs> but I thought I really, I really trusted that he could do it. And we had agreed safety nets. We had agreed what we do if, if people feel it. So you do that. You protect your, you, you push your people and you protect your people. I believe. And you, you talk to what degree you protect. You don't assume because what, who needs what protection is very, very individual. And I think not protecting is not responsible, but that's me. Uh. <laughs> Which, but I, I, it makes sense though. Like if, if you, I mean, people have to, it's, it's kind of like this concept of, you know, psychological safety that like people are not going to, they're not going to feel like they can take a risk or try to be courageous or do something a little bit new if they feel like they're going to be reprimanded for it or made fun of it, et cetera, that there is a like, in some ways, you need an environment in which you can fail. Because I think the the thing maybe that we we haven't necessarily touched upon is oftentimes courage comes when you're scared of something, but a lot of times that's, that fear comes from, well, what if you fail at it? And so, you know, potentially one strategy for helping people to be a little bit more courageous is either through conversation, helping them say like, quote unquote, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. And or at least creating the environment such that if that worst case scenario does happen, that it's not the end of the world or the end of the job or the end of the line. Totally, totally true. So that's that's one thing that you really talk. Hey, what's the worst case, and what we do? What what do we do if the the worst case is happening? And how bad is the worst case really? Because often we are in a bubble and mm -hmm. it's just angry people. Nobody's dying. <laughs> so. Yeah, so so that's that's for sure one thing, and and the other already the conversation around the different scenario can be super helpful because suddenly you realize there are ten scenarios that have a good outcome and two that have a bad outcome. Hey, what do we do? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the risk is not that big. Yeah, let's go move. What as we start to to wrap up a little bit, what went into your decision to say? I'm going to go full time into to coaching because that seems to me like there's a an aspect of courage that would require like, hey, I have this extensive experience, clear leadership skills, et cetera. I've worked at these very large, renowned companies and have done well in them. Did it feel like it had to be a courageous step to say, hey, I'm going to be a coach or was it just completely natural? And you're just like, nope, this was fine. Like, how did how did that transition happen for you? So honestly, it's with a few other things where I, I only realized many years later how courageous I was. So we moved country when we had two small children. Now we look with people with two small children and think, who is so crazy to move country with two small children? <laughs> and I realized, I don't know, 10 years later that it was brilliant and I don't regret it. It was more courageous than I knew. And the same, honestly, with going going on my own is more courageous than I knew uh, for many reasons. That would be a different podcast. Uh, yet, I think what is important, you only overcome fear if you have a bigger calling than the fear. So it's always hands on heart. What are you wishing for? What matters to you? What is really, really important right now? And with hands on heart, I chose that I was so curious how I would do uh, with my own business 
that I was very convinced that I have a lot to give and to contribute and that it would be a huge joy to do so. And I think these were the two big reasons that that was hands on heart why, why I went for it. Yeah, what a, uh, what a fantastic phrase that you shared of like, you can only overcome the fear if you have a, a calling bigger than the fear. And so six years in and a, a book later, has it been those things? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, definitely. Honestly, that what happened recently, I, I got a, a text message from an ex-coachee from me uh, only Friday, I don't know, 7 p.m., big crisis can you help? Are you around this weekend? And then I, I partnered with her for, for nine weeks in a huge professional crisis. It was just super rewarding because I, I felt like I could be, if you want, so her secure base as a coach in a very, very, very difficult situation. And that was super rewarding to me. So that's, that's one example on the, hey, I can give a lot. What is, what is absolutely brilliant when you, how I approach coaching, you never stop learning. So partly, of course, you learn a lot from your coaches, but not only that, I learned so much about human behavior, human mindsets, and how we can overcome limiting beliefs, limiting approaches. And so it's lovely and it makes my life better. Uh, so what I what I did, for example, and one reason why I chose first coaching training, I didn't then know that I would go for it if you want so nearly full time, was that I always believed I would be a better leader if I knew the coaching practice. And that's definitely true. I did a sort of interim position in between 2019. It was absolutely fascinating for me to see how I led in that role compared to before. It was so different mm-hmm. because I didn't have the ego thing going on that strongly. Yes. I will not ask my peers what they see, but I <laughs> yes. you could you could you could feel it. And so yeah, so it seems like courage and also coaching as a capacity can be valuable for for both. So that's a, a lovely kind of dual thing. And I think that I agree. I mean at least I I do very kind of specific coaching within presentations, et cetera. And, and to see someone come through and be much more confident or more capable or put into practice some of the things that you talked about is, a, I think, a truly rewarding, you know, certainly experience. And so uh, we've got to wrap up soon. So we have uh, three to four questions to, to help close out with a couple of quick answers. I think we kind of already know one of the questions we often ask is what's a fact about you that surprises people, but the fact that you can sew a flag quicker than most people is a pretty good one. I feel like that's pretty good. Uh, what's your go-to kind of media escape? Do you watch movies, read books, um, listen to podcasts? Read books. Yeah. Any any book that stood out to kind of recently that you would gift to a friend or a good coaching client? Uh, Hostage at the Table. Really strong. Hostage at the Table? Paul and Rita, I think is his name. Amazing book. Amazing book. Okay. Fantastic. I haven't heard of it, so I'll have to, to check it out. Uh, I love it. So what is, this may be very specific to people from, from, uh, Germany, but so in Germany, there's a thing called spaghetti ice, which is ice cream that's made to look kind of like spaghetti. What is, what is your take on spaghetti ice? Childhood memory. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, my, uh, wife's, uh, mother is in town, uh, this week. And so we just had our own version of spaghetti ice here in Panama and it was delightful. 
So to, to wrap up, what is one final piece of advice you would love to give to the next generation of leaders? Be very aware of what the world needs from you right now and collaborate with others and believe in yourself. Wow. Be aware of what the world needs from you right now. Very, very powerful. And I imagine to to recognize it and to act on it, it's going to take a little bit of courage yeah. to do so and uh, could benefit maybe from a little bit of coaching to get there, which I think is a wonderful <laughs> way to to summarize what we've talked about today. Florence, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for taking us deeper into the world of courage. And uh, thank you for joining us on uh, this conversation. Thank you, Drew, for having me. And that's our show. Like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For show notes about this episode, links to things mentioned, or requests for sponsorship, visit pgalums.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at pgalumpod. We'd love to hear from you. Learnings from Leaders is a production of the PNG Alumni Network, a global nonprofit founded by former PNGers committed to community, enrichment, and philanthropy. With more than 45,000 registered members worldwide, the network connects alums through global conferences, local chapters, industry events, and online content. Our nonprofit foundation supports economic empowerment in communities around the world. To find out more, visit pgalums.com. That's it for this week. I've been Andrew Tarvin. And I'm still Roman Segel. Thanks for joining Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. We'll see you next time.